You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's nom nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash sent by Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on Nicole Sandler. After Trump lost the election He plotted and he lied every night and day Urged his base to start a violent insurrection For his crimes it seemed he'd never pay Didn't think anything could spoil it Till they found boxes by the toilet Full of papers, papers, secret papers in the bathroom. Lawler was a disappointment. He let Trump wriggle out of every scrape. But this special counsel waited to pounce till he had the goods, even Trump on tape. Now things are really rolling Cause Jack Smith proved that Trump had stolen Papers, papers, papers in the bathroom How much do I love Lauren Mayer? (laughs) 37 counts in the indictment The case is just as solid as it seems And to add to our delight and excitement The photos have inspired a ton of memes now Donnie's hopes are sagging Cause of how he kept on bragging About papers, papers, papers in the bathroom Papers, papers, papers in the bathroom Papers, papers Don't stop the video just yet It's okay. with a very quick reminder That these videos don't produce themselves But you can help me by joining my Patreon Where for as little as two dollars a month You can help me continue to make the videos That help you laugh the news And would otherwise make you cry Thanks Oh, Lauren Mayer Oh, just <laughs> So good And I gotta tell you If you're just listening to the stream If you're listening on Progressive Voices Or one of the other audio streams Or listening to the podcast without the video Um this one you must see because Lauren outdoes herself with the Tina Turner dancing and <laughs> she's got the fringe top on and oh my god it's adorable. <laughs> we needed that. Thank you, Lauren Mayer. Oh yeah, that was that was just too good. That's that's how we start a Friday. Um, today's going to be a little all over the place because there's stuff to talk about. We do have a guest coming up with a, a strange book, and you know. I like the strange, I like the weird, and I like when people think things through a a sort of um, off-center point of view. So the book that we're going to talk about today is called How to Survive History. 
how to outrun a Tyrannosaurus, escape Pompeii, get off the Titanic, and survive the rest of history's deadliest catastrophes. My first thought when I heard about it is, well, hindsight is twenty twenty. What have you done for me lately? Uh, it sounds like a song. Um, and so, but uh, we'll speak with uh, Cody Cassidy a little later in the hour, uh, just because I think it's interesting. I, I And I will ask him about our current um, dangers, because frankly, I don't worry about outrunning a Tyrannosaurus or getting off the Titanic. But, you know, we'll, we'll find out what the, um, uh, the current um, uh, parallels are. In the meantime, there was sad news today. And yeah, really sad. Um, we knew it was coming, though, because, um, well, Daniel Ellsberg, uh, a few months ago, told us that he was sick, told us that um, uh, he had inoperable pancreatic cancer. And as I've learned from at least one dear friend of mine, Joel Silberman, um, pancreatic cancer is, you know, is pretty much a death sentence. Um, and Daniel Ellsberg said he wasn't going to take any of the treatments or anything that, um, um you know, that would have lessened his quality of life. And and what he wanted to do was just live the rest of his life and be able to spend it with family and friends. And apparently that's what he did. Um, but, you know, it's very sad that he's gone. Um, and what I wanted to do, I'm going to link. So there's going to be a bunch of stuff I'm going to post on the the blog today. So good reason for you to visit the website which is at NicoleSandler.com. If you want to go directly to today's show, it'll be posted at NicoleSandler.com slash 6-16-23. That's the date. That's how I post everything. So I will post um, Lauren's video there. So if you didn't see the video, you can go to the website later and, and catch it. Um, I'm also going to post this this other video. I'm just going to play a few minutes of it for you now. But it was from May 1st. It was May Day. And that day, Daniel Ellsberg was the guest for the whole hour with um, Amy Goodman on Democracy Now! And um, and yeah, Winston Smith said, I hope his passing was peaceful and without pain. Actually, his son, Robert Ellsberg, posted a whole thread on Twitter. Um, in fact, let me share that with you now. I thought I put it there. I'll also put this up on the... Uh, on the blog as well. Um, okay, so uh, Robert Ellsberg, and he's on Twitter, at Robert Ellsberg. Go figure. He wrote, My dear father, Daniel Ellsberg, died this morning, June 16th at 1.24 a.m., four months after his diagnosis with pancreatic cancer. His family surrounded him as he took his last breath. He had no pain and died peacefully at home. At one point, he said, if he were to have a gravestone, that he would say, quote, he became part of the anti-Vietnam and anti-nuclear movement, end quote. By chance, my interview about him for release this Father's Day weekend was posted today. And yeah, there's a Q&A with Robert Ellsberg about his father posted today at plow, P-L-O-U-G-H dot com. I will also post that interview on the website. But um, Amy Goodman did a really good job on this intro to Daniel Ellsberg on May 1st that I just wanted to share with you today because, um, well, uh, because it's the least I can do. So take it away, Amy, Amy Goodman. Now, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Today, we spend the hour with Pentagon Papers whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg. He recently announced he's been diagnosed with inoperable pancreatic cancer. Mm. In a letter to friends, Dan Ellsberg wrote, quote, I feel lucky and grateful that I've had a wonderful life far beyond the proverbial three score years and ten. I feel the very same way about having a few months more to enjoy life with my wife and family and in which to continue to pursue the urgent goal of working with others to avert nuclear war in Ukraine or Taiwan or anywhere else, unquote. Dan Ellsberg 
turned 92 on April wow. 7th. He may 92. be the world's most famous whistleblower. In 1971, the New York Times began publishing excerpts of the Pentagon Papers, 7,000 pages of top-secret documents outlining the secret history of the Vietnam War. The Times expose was based on documents secretly photocopied by Dan Ellsberg and Anthony Russo while they worked as Pentagon consultants at the RAND Corporation. Ellsberg had been inspired to leak the documents by anti-war protesters. In fact, shortly before the Times first reported in the Pentagon Papers, Dan Ellsberg took part in an anti-war protest in Washington, D.C., 52 years ago today on May Day, 1971, mm. as part of an affinity group with Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn. Wow. The Pentagon Papers leak would end up helping take down President Nixon, help end the war in Vietnam, and lead to a major victory for press freedom. The Nixon administration would go on to take extraordinary measures to silence and punish Ellsberg, including breaking into his psychiatrist's office. But the government's misconduct led to charges against him being dismissed. Over the past 50 years, Daniel Ellsberg has remained a leading critic of U.S. militarism and U.S. nuclear weapons policy, as well as a prominent advocate for other whistleblowers. I spoke to him Thursday from his home in Berkeley, California. All right, Dennis, so I, wanted- I'm not going to play the whole thing now, but there, I wanted you to hear the intro because she, you know, well, Amy Goodman usually does a good job, but she did. And, and it was a wonderful interview, and it was their last. So I will include that. I'll put that on the blog today um, uh, where I post today's show, a- as well as the interview with uh, um, Robert Ellsberg so, and, and, the, <laughs> and the Lauren Mayer video. Um, one other thing. So Monday is a holiday. Monday is Juneteenth. Uh, as far as I know, I'll be here Monday. You know, I, I, I struggle with this. And I don't know why the sink is off. This is weird. The sink should not be off on the on the YouTube, but it is. So I'll just chalk it up to it being Friday and um, <laughs> and 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 the the gremlins. Uh, anyway, I just have to not look at the monitor when I'm talking because my. You know, I understand it usually goes off, you know, sometime between here and when it comes out the other end on YouTube. But it's weird that as I'm talking. The sink is off, so uh, maybe it's the drugs. Oh, an update. I went this morning, and I got um, x-rayed because, uh, you know, I did watch the, um, I, 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 I called my doctor. If you weren't here yesterday, I think I, I thought I, I cracked another rib. This one on the right side, um, it was on the left side when I cracked my ribs last year. Um, this was on my right side. And yes, I made an appointment with my doctor to get the, uh, the bone medicine because I'm old. That's it. I'm Nicole and I'm old and my bones are brittle and I, I can't avoid taking the, the bone building medicine any longer. So my appointment with the doctor is next week. But I woke up early. Well, I woke up early this morning. I didn't sleep much last night because of the pain. Um, you know, when you have a, a rib that you think is broken or cracked or bruised, um, you, it's hard. To, you can't lie flat on your bed. It's hard to get comfortable. So I wound up like propping pillows up against the wall and and tried to sleep sitting up. Needless to say, I didn't sleep much. So when the urgent care place opened at eight o'clock this morning. I was there and I got x-rayed. The good news is they said that they couldn't see any break, any crack, any fracture. The bad news is rib fractures are the hardest things to see on an x-ray. And the thing is, even whether whether there's a break, a fracture or not, and, and on the left side, when I did this last year, they saw it. Oh, I think it's okay on your end. Good. It's just not on mine. Um, they could see it on the x-ray. This time, they can't see it. It doesn't mean it's not there. Um, and, the, and the treatment is the same, whether it's broken or not. It's, um, you know, it's, <laughs> the treatment is uh, just try to take it easy. Rest. Take ibuprofen. In my case, I'm taking a lot of CBD. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm living with it. But yes, I'm going to the doctor. So uh, that's that's the health update for today.
Now, Monday. So Monday, you know, is Juneteenth, and it is now a federal holiday, as it should be. I'm glad. Now, um, it is June 19th, although... It's the you know it's what we do here in this country where holidays get celebrated on Mondays, but Monday is the holiday. It's a federal holiday. The banks are closed. The post office closed. Um, and and you know I go back and forth. Should I take the day off? I should, but but I shouldn't. Um, because I think it's still a new holiday. A lot of people don't even know it's a holiday. And maybe we should talk about Juneteenth on Monday. Do a special Juneteenth show. Um, I'd love to take the day off, but I'd feel like a, I'm sort of an imposter. So I don't know. Uh, we'll figure it out. I'll I'll be here Monday, and we'll do something along the Juneteenth lines, I'm sure. But I thought I would share with you a few words from um, Sheila Jackson Lee on the floor of the House recognizing our newest federal holiday. Happy Juneteenth, Mr. Speaker, and to my colleagues, and I hope that they will celebrate Juneteenth as we leave for this Juneteenth commemoration. H-Res 1001, my resolution to recognize Juneteenth, June 19th, was introduced on June 15, 2020. The resolution garnered 214 of my colleagues' co-sponsors, and it led to the introduction of the first Juneteenth National Independence Act, my bill, H.R. 7232, on June 18, 2020. In the 117th Congress, we introduced, again, uh, the federal holiday on February 25, 2021, and, of course, was asked by Senator Markey to introduce my bill in the United States Senate. Well, that year was the golden year. That led to both houses supporting the legislation and being signed by the President of the United States. How important this is, is that this was General Granger's visit to Galveston two years after the Emancipation Proclamation and indicated to those slaves, still slaves, that you are free. This is a day of jubilation. This is a day of freedom. It is a holiday for all Americans. It's the 12th holiday here in the United States. 38 years after the last holiday, I encourage the nation to do so. Thank you, Reginald Adams, for a wonderful mural. Thank you, Representative Al Edwards, for putting that board in the state of Texas. Happy Juneteenth. Celebrate it. Oh, shut up, whoever is sitting in the, in, the, in the speaker's chair. Let her finish. She was wrapping up. You really had to talk over her. Some things about D.C. just really bug me. Anyway, happy Juneteenth everybody. Okay, you ready to, d- to dig in here? So I see our guest is here. Um, you know, I, I enjoy, oh, I got to get our, I got to get our um, shot set up because I, I um, yeah, uh, the, the, my producer has, is off her game today. This happens on Fridays. You know, she, she gets so uh, ready for the weekend and you, you just can't tell her what to do. Even though I talk to her all the time, she just sometimes just doesn't listen telling me to shut up. Okay, I'll shut up and bring on our guest. So um, I get pitched a lot of books and, you know, some of them immediately I say, yeah, I'm interested in that. And um, this one I I was definitely interested in, not because I think I'll need any of Cody Cassidy's solutions, but then again, you never know. So uh, Cody Cassidy, author of the book, How to Survive History, How to Outrun a Tyrannosaurus, Escape Pompeii, Get Off the Titanic, and Survive the Rest of History's Deadliest Catastrophes. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, and congratulations on the book. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. So why did you write this? What made you decide to, like, to, to explore... Um, uh, events throughout history, most of which happened a long, long time before either one of us was born, and figure out how the people who were impacted by those things could have survived. You know, I just, I, I the whole idea started when I read, a, I was sort of searching for story ideas, and I read this interesting study about uh, the speed of a Tyrannosaurus Rex and how it was surprisingly slow and and how I could plausibly outrun it or just a regular not very athletic person like myself and i sort of realized i wrote that story and then i sort of realized that it was a fun way to explore historical events and it sort of it lent a bit of action and a a bit of the chase and it also sort of gives you a 
a sort of ground level view of, of history uh, rather than a sort of uh, 40,000 foot dry history books might. Right. And that, that is the problem with history is, is that, you know, it, it can't, it depends how it's presented and you found a new and unique way to examine some uh, major points throughout history. I'm wondering how they apply. So for instance, you, you do the, the first chapter is really about how to survive the dinosaur age. And you, you even have charts in here. You've got, you've got math. Um, you know, so, so for instance, here's a picture. Uh, uh, I got it. There you go. So you can see something. So you, you, you take, it's like, uh, area by velocity, by size, by, I don't know. I, I, so mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm, you know, I don't, I don't deal with math in my life. Um, but did you have to get really deep into the math to figure out if a human could outrun a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Well, the the math that these paleontologists used to determine the, the Tyrannosaurus speed was uh, pretty interesting. And so I sort of delve into that formula and there's a little bit, they sort of have to guesstimate. So I, I provide the, the, their sort of guesstimations and, and show you why uh, there's some dinosaurs, uh, particularly some of the younger uh, Tyrannosaurus Rexes in which the speed is a little bit up for debate. So there's a, I have to give you the the range and then so you know the if it's a little bit faster it requires a different sort of technique than if it's a little bit slower and so i i sort of i'm a i'm a sort of science writer at heart and so i i sort of enjoy delving into those uh to those numbers well i gotta tell you right now jesse jesse salisbury in the chat room said a t-rex can run twice as fast as you can just saying does jesse know <laughs> what he's talking about i mean who know how do you know it's not like we well, were around when it's not like we were there with the stopwatch. Well, it turns out the, the full size Tyrannosaurus Rex can't. It's it sways about as much as an elephant. And so they've done studies on its on its uh, bone density. And it's just it couldn't have run but by definition, have both legs off the ground at the same time and then landed on one leg. It would have been too much uh, pressure on, on the bone. But. He might be, he, he is, he, he could be right because a younger Tyrannosaurus Rex actually, a sort of teenage Tyrannosaurus Rex was quite a bit smaller and leaner and also quite a bit faster and was about twice as, twice as fast as, as a human could run. So that, that would be a different uh, story entirely. So have you, um, since you wrote this chapter and did all the math and the calculations and learned a whole lot about how fast dinosaurs run. Did you go back and watch Jurassic Park and see how accurate or inaccurate it was? Well, I didn't even have to watch it. It's sort of seared into my brain. <laughs> it came out at an impressionable time. But the the scene where it's chasing the Jeep is definitely a little bit um, a little bit exaggerated, although they do a good job of recreating its motion. It doesn't actually run. Um they have both feet off the ground in in uh, Jurassic Park, but it does move faster than it than it really would have. Ah, interesting. Okay, and the, so so does that help you with anything in navigating today's world? Knowing <laughs> knowing what you know about our relationship and how to survive Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, to to navigate waters in twenty twenty three. Well. I do discuss uh, the techniques to uh, if you're being chased, uh, I to, to how to avoid the the chasing predator or, who, or whoever it might be, because the, there was an interesting study done. Um, they attached accelerometers to impala and cheetah, and even though the uh, the impala is about uh, significantly slower than the cheetah, it, it escapes successfully two thirds of the time. And so there's a interesting techniques where it doesn't actually run its fastest; it sort of slows down as the cheetah approaches and then swerves at the last second. So, uh, and then it has better endurance. And so if it can do that enough times, it, it wins. And so if you're being chased by someone, something, that's the technique I would recommend. The, the swerving, uh, mastering the swerving um, uh, talent, I guess. So you can swerve and hide, like duck under something fast. Yeah, it's, right? it's, I actually remembered my days as a, on a, in the playground and growing up and I being chased by older bullies. And it's actually a technique I, I think I employed. So uh-huh. um, it does work. Uh-huh. So, so I enjoy going through the book and you know, your, your illustrations, your, <laughs> are just really good because it's a scientific book, but you use sort of primitive um, mapping methods, charting methods here. So you've got a, you've got a, um, a chapter on, 
surviving the Chicxulub asteroid. How do you say that? Chil- how- it's a tough word. Chicxulub. Chicxulub. Okay, asteroid. I I don't know about it, but 66 and a half million years ago? Yeah, so I, I really like this one. This was uh, the, the asteroid that, that killed the dinosaurs, or oh. all of them except for a few okay. ground-nesting birds. Um, it's a totally spectacular event. Some some call it the most spectacular day in Earth history. It's um, It impacted over uh, Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula, and this was a six-mile-wide rock traveling at 10 miles per second. So it, it, it impacted with around 100 million times uh, the energy of the largest nuclear weapon ever detonated. So it would have... If there were glass on the in the Western Hemisphere, it would have shattered glass from from New York to to Buenos Aires. It was it was that powerful. Was um, there was, glass sixty six million years? <laughs> there ago. was no glass, but <laughs> but uh, that's just an example of the shockwave. Now, now and I there love was, uh, the map. You've got this map here, and <laughs> and you know, so the, and the continents weren't exactly as they are now back then, right? But I guess this is your best estimation no, of that's it? yeah that's about how they were it's a little different india was an island back uh-huh. then and actually one of the, the best places to be because you would you exactly. would prefer to be near the equator on the other side <laughs> of the world right here you said i'm, I'm tra- doing it backwards right here <laughs> go here yeah. so yeah. go here that's my favorite thing go here <laughs> and you've got like a little sun there near the equator um mm-hmm. and and that would be um that's around where indonesia is today oh, okay Okay, yeah. I was looking for like Australia and New Zealand, thinking it might be, but no, I don't. I I yeah, can't make out this map. You want to be a little closer to the equator where it was where it was warm and and get in a cave too because there's sort of a lot of um, little pieces of asteroid came down as a sort of rain of fire. Okay, so you go through that, you get us mm-hmm. through that this giant asteroid that that wiped out the dinosaurs and stuff, and then you tell us how to survive the ice age. I don't think we really need that right now. I think we need more of the, the heat. We need to survive the heat, right? True, true. This is um, this was a. <laughs> I, I just became fascinated with these mammoth hunters um, and how they. There, there was a, a group of culture that exclusively hunted mammoth, which is the, the most difficult prey that humans have really ever hunted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I became fascinated with how they did it. And you know, I mean, a, another one of my favorite illustrations in the book, and there are many of them, is how, where, where to spear a mammoth. So this is 25,000 years ago, and it says, yes, no. <laughs> and here's the man or the human at six feet, and that's the size of the mammoth. And you spear it not in the ass, but between the eyes. Yeah, unfortunately, you would want to spear it while it wasn't, while the tusks weren't pointing towards you. But oh. unfortunately, the, the mammoth rears are virtually impenetrable, so you got to face it. But but the, the the human is much smaller. So how does how does he get his spear from way down here to way <laughs> up there? Well, this was another surprise. They didn't throw them or hold them. They used what are called uh, mammoth uh, spear throwers or, or called atlatls. They're basically just a stick. That uh, adds leverage to your throw. You, you, it's actually very similar to, to the to this where you see at dog parks. Dog throwers used to throw uh, tennis oh, balls. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah, 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 very similar to that. But you bounce this this spear on top of it, and and you can launch it with uh, a lot more velocity. Wow, kind of like a catapult, maybe you know, because exactly, yeah. they used catapults back in those days. And in fact, in the next chapter. You, you, it's how to survive ancient Egypt, but it's more than just survival because one of the questions of the ages is how do they build those fucking pyramids? And and here you have it. So <laughs> you you come up with a theory of how they could have built the pyramids. I just always thought it was aliens. It's it's a tempting thought, but the they have the rock quarries right below there, and and uh, the Egyptologists I talked to said there's a ramp leading right up from the rock quarries, and if you just follow it to the so the pyramid, it, it, it was just a, a simple ramp that they looped around the backs. And then and then once they were done, they disassembled the ramp and just sort of pulled all the through all the rock into the into the holes that they just dug. Wow. Um, it, 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 you make it sound so simple. Well, it was it took 20 years and <laughs> um, basically all one million people living in the uh, in the Nile River Valley to do it. But right. Um, technologically simple. Uh, bureaucratically very complex. I guess. But, but you know, on the other side, they probably didn't have to pull permits. That's right. They had, they had, uh, their permit came from on high. 
I guess. Uh, so the next chapter is how to survive Pompeii. And all I could think is, okay, do you have the chapter how to survive Mike Pompeo? Because, you know, he's out there talking about running for president, though I don't think he's jumped in yet. So I guess we've got that going for us. But again, you have, you have the map, the Pompeii evacuation route, August 24th, 79 CE, 10 a.m.-ish. And then road to Naples, yes. Road to Vesuvius, no. You have the map on the central baths. You say, do not stop here. So obviously, you approach this with the sense of humor it deserves. But 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 you took a serious task. You 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 did the serious work in trying to figure out how humans would have survived all these events throughout history. Yeah, I sort of I tried to keep it. Um, all the events are are more historical, so you could approach them with a bit of a lighter touch. Um, in the case of Pompeii, the, the surprising advice is that you need to run uh, toward the volcano, is what is what the experts there told me, because uh, the wind that morning blew from the volcano toward Pompeii. So you've actually had enough time, if you can go about 13 miles in five hours, to, to go past the volcano and all the way to Naples, and then you'd be safe. Now, this one, this one might have ramifications for today, because I, frankly... You know, I lived in Los Angeles for 15 years, and I was there in 19, I think it was 93, for the Northridge earthquake. Scariest thing I've ever been through. Shook me out of bed. If I, I, Long story, but I, I've told it many times. I, I took that day off of work. Like, something popped in my head that on Friday that said, you know what? You, you need to take Monday off. I hadn't had a day off through the holidays this was a Martin Luther King Day, so it was technically a holiday, though we weren't all celebrating it so much then. Um, and so it wasn't a work holiday for us, but I went into my boss's office on Friday and said, you know what, I need a day off. I worked all through the holidays. I'm just taking Monday off, something I never did. Sure enough, 4.30 in the morning on Monday, the earth shakes, and I'm jolted out of bed. Well, at 4.30 in the morning, I was usually in the shower. I produced a big morning show in LA. And I had this mirror that was, don't ask why, but a giant mirror in my bathtub on a shelf, that a bench in the bathtub that when I finally got back to the apartment later, it was covered the bathtub shards of glass. If I had been in there, I would have died. I would have been dead. So I would have survived the Northridge quake by telling my boss on the Friday before that I'm taking the day off. Um, that's not, you can't, you know, I, I don't know that that's something I could recommend to anybody else to do because number one, you don't know when there's going to be an earthquake, but, but you tell us how in 1906 you could survive that earthquake. Yeah. That also struck early in the morning. And uh, that was fortunate because it was actually it's actually safer in the city to be inside, even though these houses were poor, uh, pretty poorly built, than it was to be outside because um, all the bricks sort of collapse onto Ooh. the street. So it was it's safer to be as as poorly constructed as these homes were. It was safer to be inside rather than outside. But um, after that, it, it actually became much much worse because uh, the fifty fires broke out in San Francisco and every water main in the city was broken, so there was no water to put them out and. And so I uh, I recommend getting to the there were no bridges at the time so you got to get to the water to get a boat basically it was sort of like a Dunkirk like evacuation yeah. all the boats in the bay sort of ferried everybody out of the city which almost entirely burned up because there was there was absolutely no way to stop the fires wow so get on a boat but not necessarily the Titanic because you mm -hmm. do have a chapter in here how to survive the sinking of the Titanic and I'll tell you how I've successfully um, avoided being on a in a shipwreck. I don't go on cruises. They're they're petri dishes. They're like floating viruses. They're ew. I just I can't. Um, but you have the deck plans, and you you say you know um, you're here. I guess you don't want to be there. So so you think you could have saved some of these people who died on the Titanic if they had only had your plans. Well. The, fir the first step, they didn't have enough life rafts for everybody, so there was no way of saving everybody. But if you want to be amongst those to get a seat on a life raft, I would suggest first dressing in your finest clothing because the life rafts were on the on the first class class deck, and uh -huh. so they were only allowed. You need to it's sort of like an invitation only party. You sort of need to be uh, invited up there, 
And then I also, they didn't tell you how to find the life rafts. If you do go on a cruise, I would suggest knowing your escape route. They didn't tell the third class or really anybody where the life rafts were. So um, once you uh, know where they are, and if you get there early enough, that would improve your odds, certainly, of getting a seat. Uh, this this is so unique. This is such a, a, an interesting book with a, a very unique look at history, and it's what you know what drew me to it in the first place. It's called How to Survive History, and and the the events you chose are really fascinating. And for any history buff, this is just a different way to look at what you write for you write uh, your work has been featured in wired and slate and is that what you do for a living are you a writer or what do you do when you're when you're yeah, a science science writer i've written um a few science books before this one and uh yeah i contribute to to wired i love the author <laughs> the bio it says cody cassidy is the author of who ate the first oyster really who did <laughs> Well, and why would they do such a thing? I love oysters, but if 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 it was just left to me to find this this mollusk, this this you know shelled shellfish thing, and and then shuck it open, who would think to do that? And then pull out the raw thing that's all slimy and gross inside and eat it? I, uh, who would think of such a thing? Right. I, I sort of thought that the answer uh, was or sort of the question was unanswerable, but the, they have found the oldest eaten oysters in the bottom of South Africa. They're like 160,000 years old. And, and when I asked the archaeologist uh, who who he thought ate them, he had an interesting theory, which was that uh, because those cultures didn't live on the coast and because you can only gather oysters about uh, very rarely, only when the tide is at its lowest, he thought maybe the, the first people to eat oysters were sort of the first people to predict or understand that the moon phases and the tide were linked so that they knew when the full and new moon that they could go to the the coast and and eat oysters and then and then they probably cooked them there's a way to ensure that they're safer yeah i like my oysters raw but they would uh, cook a food that you didn't know if it was safe or not are you sure did they did they have fire then yet when they, they did have fire and they did cook their food um, so you, and then you could sort of use the survivalist technique of trying a little bit at first on an empty stomach and seeing what happens. <laughs> I've been, I'm lucky. I, I do love raw oysters and I, I haven't gotten sick from any yet. Although people actually die. There have been deaths from raw, not re- fairly recently here in Florida, but you know, Florida, anything can happen here. Any, you know. It's dangerous to be here. So whether you eat oysters or walk down, you know, South Beach, you take your life in your hands every day. Yes, they were they were dangerous, but they found a lot of them. So the first ones, or at least this group must not have been killed, but it must have eaten them safely. See, I'm more curious, Cody Cassidy, about how you came up with these questions. So I saw the book is titled Who Ate the First Oyster? And I'm like, who thinks of such a thing? And I remember an early childhood memory. You know, when you spend way too many hours, you know, in the car with your parents, you're in the back seat. I remember being on the highway and always one of those burning questions I always had is with the line of the, you know, taillights and head, who is first? Who is the first car in line in front of all these other cars? Somebody's got to be at the front of the line. And it used to really bother me as a little kid. I'd be thinking, how far up does this line go? So these are the kind, do you often come up with these weird questions and then have a burning desire to figure out the answers? I, I guess so. Yeah, I came up, especially with that book, I sort of uh, devoted my mind to thinking of where, who, who was the first or who discovered uh, the first, uh, who drank the first beer or who sort of invented the wheel, these sort of questions that are unanswerable, it seems like. But if you, there, there is an answer out there. We're just, we don't have a name. There is no writing. So I enjoyed trying to track down who it plausibly could have been, where they were from, what they were thinking, what their process was. So all of the questions in that book had no, there is no written name that we can find somewhere. It's just a sort of educated spec, educated speculation. So you don't, you don't have access to Bill and Ted's time machine or anything or, or the, you know, (laughs) Marty McFly's DeLorean or anything like that. You can't go back in time and find the answer. So you, you do the scientific research to find a, a plausible answer to these unanswerable questions. Exactly. Yeah. No, no time machine yet. So we just sort of use the evidence we have and maybe that would make it less interesting. 
and then sort of ruin all the speculation. Maybe. <laughs> I, I'm thinking you got to smoke a lot of pot to just come up with these questions. And I, you don't have to answer that because I, yeah, I know it's not legal everywhere. But that's what happens to me. I'll smoke a lot of pot and then I, I, I find these questions swirling around my head that there's no way I could ever answer. But there are those perplexing questions that, you know, that just hover around us. So, um, Cody Cassidy, silly questions answered seriously. Absolutely. I love it. It's just uh, great. I hope, I hope the book is wildly successful. It is just, it is so unique and I love finding unique ways of looking at, you know, topics that could be considered, you know, not that exciting. I mean, dinosaurs, they've been dead for millions of years. So how do you make them new and exciting? Well, you figure out if we could outrun them and at what age, you know, we can pass them because, you know, I, as we learn from you, the teenage T-Rex is a lot faster than the, the old fart T-Rex. But th- that's the same with us because we're getting old and, and our bodies are breaking down and it really sucks. <laughs> that's right. The, the middle-aged T-Rex would be a big, would be a big, big problem. <laughs> the book is called How to Survive History, How to Outrun a Tyrannosaurus, Escape Pompeii, Get Off the Titanic and Survive the Rest of History's Deadliest Catastrophes. Cody Cassidy, thank you so much. This is this is a, a great way to end the week. And um, I don't mean to, you know, demean it, but it's good bathroom reading because, you know, you could pick it up and read a little bit about the Strait of Magellan back in uh, 1520 and, um, and and the first circumnavigation and, and find out all about it and and marvel at your scientific, um, you know, uh, graphics here. Take this route. <laughs> I, 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 I like things like that. So good job. Thank you so much. Thank, it was a pleasure to meet you. Me. Really appreciate it. Take care. Um, fun. And look, Father's Day is Sunday. This would make a great gift for uh, some father in your life who, who always told you history, history. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes, look, I get these really serious books and they're, you know, it's just like, oh, God, how can I plod through this? And I'm sitting there today, you know, waiting at the to get the x-ray. And then I also have to get blood drawn because I have to have a brain MRI. is isn't getting old fun. And so they needed blood work. So I had to get blood drawn today. And I'm sitting there reading this and I'm laughing, mostly laughing at the drawings, at, at his little notes on the on the maps and the charts and the things, um, I, you know, um. On the escape route from steerage on the Titanic, it says, unmarked escape uh, unlocks at 1230 a.m. Be there because that's what you need to know if you're on the Titanic and it's going to sink and you're in the third, you know, you're in steerage. You're on deck E or deck F. You need So anyway, it's a handy guide to save you from things that already happened. If only we had somebody giving us a guide to save us from things happening now. Um, One of the things is like how to survive the 2020s. We made it through 2020, the year, which was horrible. But for instance, how to survive this upcoming presidential election. So we thought, so David just popped in here. He said Mike Pompeo said he is not running for president, which is really interesting because he um, he lost all that weight, <laughs> which is what candidates usually do when they're going to run for president. And he wrote a book, but thank God he's not running. We thought the Republican field was set with, what, 38 of them or thereabouts. And then yesterday, or the day before, who who knows anymore? The days all run together. Uh, we had another one jump in, and it's the mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez. I know you can say who because I live in South Florida, and I said who. So Francis Suarez gave an exclusive to Good Morning America to announce his campaign, and George Stephanopoulos um, is just wanted to ask him uh, his thoughts on the indictment. Um, I didn't edit this. This uh, this I took from MSNBC. This was from uh, Alex Wagner's show last night. But they did a great edit of the interview, a sort of a montage 
um, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez is running for president. He doesn't even know how to handle himself in a Good Morning America interview. What did you make of the indictment? Yeah, I think one of the things that happened in Miami is people were hoping that, and some members of the press were even hoping that there would be anarchy. And I think what Miami did is what Miami has done. We have lowered homicides to the lowest level. Sir, I asked you what you thought of the indictment. Yeah, he did. Well, and I want to talk about Miami. Did you read the indictment? But what, what, what I'm did, saying is, what did it say sure, to you? What did it say to you? I mean, I'm just trying to get a simple answer to that question. I let you say why you're running for president. Yeah. Answer that question. Tell me what you think uh, about it, the indictment. Do you it, think it shows that Donald Trump is fit to be president? I think what it shows uh, is that people are frustrated in this oh, country, come on. Um, particularly Republicans who feel that there isn't an equal administration of justice. Oh, come on, come on! So it went like that. Maybe he's running to be vice president. He's not even going to be vice president. Well, who the hell is this guy? You know who he reminds me of? It's a Florida thing. Florida man. Do you remember when there were 25 Democrats on the stage vying for it? There was a guy. Actually, he never made it on the debate stage because you need 1% in the polling or something crazy. Or you're going to need 40,000 individual contributions. And we had another mayor from South Florida, a guy named Wayne... Messam, I think. He was the mayor of Miramar. Miramar, which is just a little city here in Broward County. Actually, it's bigger than, um, oh God, what's the name of the town that uh, Mayo Pete uh, uh, was the mayor of? That was his big thing, where Notre Dame is. Um, South Bend. I think, right? Something like that. So this mayor of, of, of Miramar stayed in the race for a long time. It was a joke. But Mayo Pete was from a smaller town than the, than the mayor of Miramar, who was also running. So go figure. Anyway, this guy in Miami is not. What? Did I get it right? Yes, I got it right. Cool. Thank you. Yes. Who was more qualified? Mayor Miami. Oh, more qualified than Suarez. Oh, Suarez. I, I thought you said, okay, I don't know what you said. Um, y- yeah, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Anyway, what, you know, he didn't even have the talking points down. My God, the Republicans make it so easy for their candidates. They give them talking points. So when they're told by the Republican powers that be, when they ask about Trump and the indictment, you have to say, well, it's the FBI and the DOJ. They're weaponized and they're under the direct supervision of 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 criminal uh, Joe Biden. Don't you know, you know, like this. I think the DOJ and FBI have lost their way. I think Mm. that they've been weaponized against uh, Americans who think like me and you. We have seen the politicization at the Department of Justice for years and years. What we've seen over the last several years is the weaponization of the Department of Justice against the former president. The DOJ and FBI have lost all credibility with the American people. Actually, no, only with you. So, look, you know, the FBI is the FBI, and it's had a very storied past. Um, in the years under J. Edgar Hoover, it was, you know, it, under, it operated under Hoover, um, <laughs> not under the president. Um, Joe Biden, I think, is going a bit overboard in refusing to even comment on the case. He is so far removed from it. And and Donald Trump has been, you know, this has been their party line. It, this is politicized. Uh, they've, they've weaponized the DOJ and the FBI. They think it's, you know, uh, they, it's not independent. It's under this president. Remember what I said the other day about projection? Everything they say and do is projection. They accuse the Democrats of doing exactly what they do. And Donald Trump, in the midst of all this, they're saying Joe Biden and the Democrats have weaponized the FBI, have weaponized the the DOJ, and 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 Biden is using it as his personal vendetta machine. Well, you know what that is, right? Bullshit. It's Trump. Who did that? In fact, you know, he was so upset that his first 
Attorney General Jeff Sessions wasn't doing his bidding. He was he was known to say, why? Where is my Roy Cohn? He wanted the attorney general to be his errand boy to do his bidding. That's what he's accusing Joe Biden of doing. It's not what Joe Biden is doing, but that's what Donald Trump is saying. And so in the midst of this opposite world in action, you can see it. Donald Trump gets up and says this. I will appoint a real special prosecutor to go after the most corrupt president in the history of the United States of America, Joe Biden. Yeah, right. And the entire Biden crime family. Name a special prosecutor. Lock him up. Lock him up. It is opposite world. Everything you thought you knew, you never knew at all. Sideways is straight ahead. Facts no longer matter. Reality is now fiction. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Opposite World. I mean, come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> they're, you know, it's, it's the old do as I say, not as I do. They're so easy to read because everything they are accusing Biden and the Democrats of doing is what they themselves did and want to do again. And I, I, I you know, I watch this, these men on the street interviews with the, the people who these Trumpers and I just, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Okay. A couple more things. Uh, before we break for the weekend, any of the phone lines are open. If you want to join in, you can feel free to call uh, 954-889-6410 or you can Skype in Nicole Sandler. Um, so yesterday I started telling you about the uh, Supreme Court because we are now in the middle of June. Um, the this This term of the court ends at the end of June. They still have 18 cases to announce their decisions on, their opinions on. Um, today, today was a day where they handed some down. They gave out two, two, and none of the biggies. And the next release date, well, it won't be Monday because Monday is the legal holiday. It's Juneteenth. The next release day will be Thursday of next week, and they still have 18 cases to uh, pass down their opinions on. Um so I think next week we'll probably deal quite a bit with the Supreme Court. Um, they always save the big ones for the like the last day or two. So again, it, it could spill over into July like it did last year. But this time of year, I always get a little uneasy because you know what's coming. I mean, we are now, um, this week I think is a year since they killed Roe v. Wade. So, <laughs> you know... We 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 have that to look forward to, I suppose. Uh, no, he shouldn't make comments. No, I, D- Diane Russell said, no, Nicole, he shouldn't make comments. Talking about Joe Biden. I agree. But somebody has to counter all the shit, the propaganda that's being lobbed by the Republicans every day. They have this unified talking point that's bullshit bullshit in in the oh they're weaponizing the doj and the fbi it's bullshit it's bullshit and if i i get the reasoning on the part of the democrats for not playing their game and joe biden is separate from the, the the doj and i get why he doesn't want to say anything but somebody's got to counter the, the propaganda they're spewing, because if no Democrats come out and counter it, then their bullshit narrative is left as the only explanation. And you have these maggots, these lemmings, these low information, poorly educated people, and I use the word loosely, who um, parrot it back. They parrot back those talking points that every single Republican politician get in their email each morning and repeat verbatim throughout the day as if it were fact. And if somebody doesn't come out, somebody credible and counter their line of bullshit, then their line of bullshit is what's perceived as fact by these low information idiots who watch Fox and think they're getting news. And that becomes the prevailing narrative. And that's the problem. Yes, David. Biden needs to, Biden shouldn't say shit. Neither should Kamala Harris. 
he needs to designate some surrogates like Jamie Raskin, yeah, Jamie AOC, Raskin. Yeah. J.B. Pritzker, Gavin Newsom. Um, uh, it, it, There's a lot of them. There yes, are, um, Gretchen Whitmer. Correct. She needs to start stepping correct. up and taking correct. a bigger uh, and, role on the national stage because she's good. Four years from now, we will be looking for someone else to nominate for president. And these people, particularly Newsom, J.B. Pritzker, Whitmer, and, you know, a few of these other people, maybe Jay Inslee, although, you know, he's withdraw, he's, he's leaving office at the yep. end of this year or whatever. Um, nonetheless, these people would make excellent surrogates to, to carry the ball in this particular case and also begin establishing themselves for significant opportunity next time around in the presidential cycle. That's true. And, but somebody needs to step up and be the mouthpiece to counter the coordinated propaganda that they are pushing constantly from the other side. I was going to say the right, but they're always wrong. You know what I mean. So we need somebody. And yeah, it may be not, um, um, you know, uh, Biden, but somebody, somebody's got to do it. Hey, one other thing. Um, the AP board, remember the whole dust up here in Florida when uh, Governor Death Sentence um, basically told the AP board how to rework their AP course in um, uh, African-American studies? You know, get rid of all the stuff about Black Lives Matter, Martin Luther King, you know, yeah, Rosa Parks, who needs her? Um, yeah, and, and so that course was basically destroyed uh, because of Ron DeSantis. Well, a related story. The AP board basically told DeSantis to fuck off. My word's not theirs, but, you know, I, I like to speak truth to power. Um, on their psychology AP course, which does address gender identity and and, oh my God, sexuality! <laughs> because how dare you teach children about gender identity and sexuality! Oh my God. So, um, the Florida Department of Education had ordered the college board back in May, ordered, mind you, to change its advanced placement high school psychology course saying the course had to comply with Florida's restrictions on classroom teaching through the 12th grade, where you're just not allowed to say gay. And um, DeSantis, because he's so powerful, don't you? He gets he's so powerful, don't you know? Gave the nonprofit company until June 16th to determine how the course had to be changed. Today is June 16th. And the college board said, that withholding information about gender dysphoria, gender identity, and sexual orientation from students studying human psychology, quote, would break the fundamental promise of AP, advanced placement. Yes! Diane Russell says all the Dems I see interviewed do counter the BS. Well, it's not breaking through. Are you seeing them interviewed where these right-wingers can hear it? Because if all they're doing is speaking in the echo chamber, it's not really going to help us much. And if you watch these um, interviews with some of these maggots who go out to these events, it's really scary. Oh, let me tell you one more thing about uh, Governor Death Sentence as, you know, um, it, it, in honor of Juneteenth, which, which uh, is, is this coming Monday. Uh, Ron DeSantis, I guess, came back to Florida long enough to veto some items in the budget. You know where this is going, right? Let me just tell you, because this man wants to be president. He wants to bring his Florida policies to the rest of the country. So DeSantis vetoed. Big chunks of the bu budget yesterday. Well, there's a bunch of it. I've got actually a list of the, the projects here in South Florida alone that he vetoed. And they are uh, the Riviera Beach School Readiness Outreach Initiative, City of West Park Mental Health Initiative, a Fresh Start Program, City of Hallandale Beach, a Senior Mini Center, um, Voices for Children, 
an at-risk youth advocacy program, delinquency prevention and diversion in Broward County, uh, the Lab YMCA Leadership Academy, Miramar, the Miramar Public Safety Special Operations Center, Palm Beach County uh, Sheriff Unmanned Aerial Response Team, all these things he caught a lot of drainage improvement projects throughout South Florida. It's a time of climate change. We're flooding. Fort Lauderdale flooded with unheard of floods before. And he killed all of these drainage improvement projects. About a dozen of them. Seriously. Uh, a Singer Island Channel dredging project. Glades region infrastructure improvement. Pump station rehabilitation and automation. He ki- Flooding mitigation in Parkland. He killed all of these. What else? He eliminated $160,000 in funding for a Black History Month celebration in Orlando called the 1619 Fest, whose theme this year was to bring awareness to the health disparities black people face in America. He cut funding for Florida's Black Music Legacy, a project designed to highlight the state's contributions to black music. This is what DeSantis is vetoing. Programs, well, to help Florida from sinking into the ocean, thanks to climate change, for black uh, history, for African-American celebration, for opioid treatment and research programs, seven here. I, I know I'm running over, but I was I meant to end on time today, but I just got to finish reading this to you. Um, um, let's see. Um, uh, last year, DeSantis vetoed a million dollars for Valencia College to create a feature film about the 1920 Okoe Election Day massacre in which a white mob attacked and killed dozens of black voters in the nation's worst instance of Election Day violence because DeSantis believes if you don't know about it, it didn't happen. Numerous other programs are also cut, including more than $3.6 million for opioid treatment and research programs, 17 drain improvement projects across the state, $6.4 million to repair or renovate 21 public broadcasting stations across the state, because who needs public radio? Um, DeSantis's people did not respond to questions about why the programs were cut. Florida. That's all you need to know. All right. With that, we're done. We are. We're done. I, I, but I will. Today, though, I will leave you, with, uh, I'll leave you with one more song, if I can find where I downloaded it to. Today is the 16th. Why don't I have it there? Let's see if I can find it up here because I thought I downloaded it. Obviously, I don't see it, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to uh, stall and play this for you while I can because it's pretty good. So there's um, the parody project. And I told you this guy, Don Karen, has been really busy lately. He's been churning them out. Um, this one, I think, might be an old one, but it's still relevant because he calls it still relevant. So, uh, anyway, I will leave you with Don Karen and the Parody Project. Um, and, uh, uh, sorry, there's an ad running there. i, I got to skip over the ad. Um, and, uh, and a woman named Deborah Bowman who does the singing on this one. All right, I'll, I'll leave you with this, and I'll just tell you, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Where is that? I can't find it. I guess i got to bring it up to this screen. Ah, it's never, see this damn producer again. She she left me hanging. She didn't pull the video that she was supposed to pull. Damn it, Nicole. I'm going to have to fire you. No, please don't. Okay, uh, I won't. Um, all right, now I'll leave you with this. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll see you here Monday and we'll celebrate Juneteenth together. Okay, all right. Have a good one. Enjoy. These days it's hard to be Republican Giving your support to just one man You'll have cringe times And you'll have good lives Saying things that no one understands. But if you praise him, he'll tweet verbatim. Even when it
it's hard to understand And if you cross him Oh, watch out for him Cause he'll attack you just because he can When hearts grow cold and lonely Stand with your man And show how you've forsaken Your integrity as congressmen Stand with you Integrity.